listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. You can be seated. Good morning, everybody. We are going to continue our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. And so we'll be in Matthew 7, uh, start in verse 7 this morning. I invite you to go ahead and turn there. While you're doing that, let's recap a little bit. So far, Jesus has been relentless, nonstop in showing us how how far short we fall of righteousness. His message over and over has been, you're not as good as you think you are. In fact, you're way worse than you thought you were. You know, and I even made a comment to a friend this week. I said, I don't know why people like the Sermon on the Mount. This is not fun. You know, some of you may have thought you're just a little bit more willpower, maybe a, a few better decisions short of being good. But what Jesus has told us is your, your heart is far worse than you ever thought. You know, a lot of people picture righteousness as kind of this scale, the scale of good and bad. And when our life is over, you know, we go to the pearly gates and they, they weigh out the scale. And if there's a little more good than bad, then we get in. Well, what Jesus has been showing us is, y'all, on that scale, there's nothing on the good side at all. It's the most lopsided scale you've ever seen in your life. There's nothing there. So if you have any hope of having a place in God's kingdom... You need a replacement, not a repair. You know, many of you, like me, at different points in your life have driven old beat-up cars, some old beater, and you've done everything you can to fix that thing up and repair this and repair that. Well, there comes a point, though, where the mechanic tells you, listen, there's no more fixing this thing. There's no amount of duct tape or redneck engineering you can do to keep this thing running. It is time for a replacement. So, so far in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been that mechanic coming up and giving us the bad news. You cannot get into God's kingdom with the heart you were born with. There's no fixing it. You need a replacement. You, have, you cannot please God on your own. You have no basis for getting into heaven with that old raggedy hoopty of a heart you've been walking around with. And then we get to verse 7. And verse 7 marks a change. See, Jesus reveals this morning, listen, he's not mad at us. He's, he's not here to smite us. He's not even here just to complain about how bad we are. No, no, no. Despite the state of our hearts, we're going to find out this morning, he is here to give us good things. Can you believe that? But actually, it's not good things plural. It's good thing singular. And you know, this is the key to the whole passage this morning. There is one good thing that Jesus gives us out of his love for us. Now, sure, in his grace, All of us. He's given us lots of good things. We can all list a lot of blessings that we have gotten from God. But today, he's talking about one good thing in particular. And y'all, it's the best good thing. It's better than any other good thing we could possibly receive. And here's why. It's the best good thing because it's what you need the most. And it's what you can never get on your own. So let's start reading verse 7. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Well, there's not many commands in the Sermon on the Mount, but here we get three commands in one verse. 
And they're all in what we call the present imperative. That means he's kind of really saying, keep asking. Always be seeking. Never stop knocking. And they're kind of in this ascending order of urgency, how we're supposed to respond to what he's taught us so far. And I got to thinking about this, and y'all, I see this play out at least once a day in my house every day. When my kids need something, the first thing they're going to do is ask their mom for it. They're going to say, Mom. Now, I'll be sitting right there, but they know I'm not the person to ask. And so they'll look over me, Mom. But if she doesn't respond immediately, if they don't find her, you know, they get a little more urgent. And they'll start looking for her. Finally, they'll address me only to say, do you know where Mom is? And they'll go all around the house looking for her. Where's Mom? Mom, Mom. Well, then they may see that our bedroom door is closed. And so what are they going to do? They're going to go up to the door and knock. Mom, Mom, Mom. Endlessly, relentlessly until she finally responds. And so you can see it kind of starts with some convenience. But then this, there's this growing urgency. They take action. Then they get demanding and they're not going to give up until she responds. You know, this is exactly the response we should have to the Sermon on the Mount. When we read the Beatitudes and see that we're not the kind of people who are blessed, we say, God, then we read about the hate and the anger and the worry in our hearts. And we're supposed to say, do you know where God is? Has anyone seen God? God, God. Then we read that even our righteous deeds aren't righteous at all. God, God, please come help us. See, we when we realize our need, it, sh- it should send us running to God, not running away from him. And look what happens when we run to him. Verse 8, he says, For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, how can Jesus say this? Will we really get whatever we ask God for? You know, I would guess every person in this room, every person here, young and old, has had some prayers that went unanswered. And a lot of them for very big, important things. Praying for your marriage, praying for a loved one who is lost, a sin, a financial struggle, that God would heal you or someone else. And you pray and you pray and you pray, but it doesn't happen. We've all been there. So how can Jesus say this? How can he promise this? Well, notice he doesn't say anything you want, you can ask for. He says it. It, singular. There is one thing. He says it three times in verse 7 and 8. There is something in particular that Jesus is talking about. Then when you ask for it, it will be given to you. And so we have to find out what is it? What is this thing in particular that God wants us to never stop asking for, to come find him for, to keep knocking on his door for? And to find out what is it, you know, we have to look at context. And this is so important. Anywhere and everywhere in the Bible, you have to know the context because words only have meaning in context. So let's say I I said, I'm, I'm thinking of a trunk. And then ask you, okay, so what am I thinking of? Well, there's a lot of possibilities, aren't there? Well, let's say we're walking around a zoo when I say that. Well, that context tells you I'm probably thinking of an elephant. Or what if we're in my garage loading things into my car? Well, that context tells you I'm probably thinking of the trunk of a car. What if we're walking around a forest? That context tells you I'm probably thinking of a tree. But you have to have the right context to know what the meaning is. In this verse, 
is one of the most taken out of context parts of the Bible. Out of context, many have taken this verse to mean, I get whatever I want from God. I can have anything I want. And people have used this verse to kind of create this Aladdin Christianity, where you are Aladdin and God is the genie. And if you rub the lamp and ask the right way, he will grant you your wish. Whether that's a big house, a nice car, that career success, that fame and fortune you've been craving, whatever it has, he's your genie. And you know let me warn you against that. that. This version of Aladdin Christianity, or you may hear it called the prosperity gospel, always goes the same way, always follows the same path. First, it begins with heresy and selfishness, because you're really using God to get what you want. Then it leads to exhaustion, because the, the hidden lie underneath all of that is that it really depends on you, how worthy you are, how much faith you have, if you ask the right way, all that kind of stuff. And then it's always going to end the same way. It's always going to end in anger and disappointment with God because you feel like he didn't live up to his end of the bargain. I rubbed the lamp. I said the magic words, but you didn't give me what I wished for. Let's think about the context of the Sermon on the Mount. He's on a hillside. He's out in the boonies somewhere talking to a bunch of slaves, fishermen, ordinary moms and dads, farmers, all these crazy Gentiles from all over the place. Does it really make sense in context that Jesus would be telling them, hey, you got a blank check for whatever you want. Ask me for anything. You can be rich. You can be the next Roman emperor. You can get the latest model chariot, whatever you want. Just ask me right now. No, that doesn't make any sense in the context. In fact, we know that none of them understood it that way because none of them started asking Jesus for material things. What has Jesus been teaching about? His sermon has been all about true righteousness and the fact that our hearts are not righteous. Did anyone here read the Beatitudes and think, oh yeah, they put my resume in the Bible there. That, he's describing me. He's pointed out the depths of our sin. Yeah, you may not murder, but let's talk about all that anger in your heart. Yeah, you may not commit adultery. Let's talk about all the lust that's in your heart. All the ways you find creative ways to lie. All the ways you get revenge. You know, you worry all the time. You don't have any faith in God. You criticize others for the same sins that you are guilty of. Even your good deeds are full of sin. Yeah, you give, but it's only so people will see you and it will feed your ego. Yeah, you fast, but it's only so that people will praise you. And you may pray, but it's just a bunch of flowery language so that others will be impressed with how spiritual you are. And yeah, you may love, but it's just your friends. You hate your enemies. He says the righteousness of God is a far higher standard than you've been living up to. So in this context, what is the it? What is the it he's talking about? The it is righteousness. Righteousness is the thing that none of you can get on your own, but everyone who will ask God for gets. Righteousness is the best good thing that God can give us. See, Jesus is telling you right here, right now, that everyone who asks will get the righteousness they need to enter the kingdom of God. Do you know the Bible is full of unanswered prayers? Just like my life and your life, full of unanswered prayers. Paul, he prayed over and over again to have this thorn removed from his side. Now, that's a good thing. None of us would want a thorn in our side. Jesus himself, he prayed to 
avoid torture and murder. That's a good thing. We would all like to avoid that. And each time God says no, he says it's because there's something way better than what you're asking for now. He says saying no to that good thing will allow more people to receive the best good thing. That's why the Bible says, for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. What was that joy? It was the joy of him giving the righteousness of God to a bunch of sinners like you and me so that we can have a relationship with him. Well, then if we have any sense, we, get, we kind of have to pause and say, wait, 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 wait. Well, what kind of God would just give righteousness to just anyone who asked? So Jesus has a, another short little, little parable to tell us. Verse 9, he says, Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This parable is a fortiori, or a, what they call a how much more argument. And so the argument is, if you, who are evil, do this, well then how much more will God do it? And I want you to notice three things about what God gives us. First, it's a gift. That's what he says in verse 11. God gives good gifts. He doesn't say to those who work for it, to those who deserve it, to those who earn it, to those who are the most handsome. He says, for those who ask, he gives it. It's a gift. And, and it's not even earned by the asking, by the seeking, by the knocking. So he's not saying if you work really hard, you know, if you say the magic word, if you prove how bad you want it. The emphasis here is on the Father's goodness, not on your ability to ask and persist. That's the emphasis. The point is it's freely given. Even when evil people ask for it, it's freely given. The second thing to notice is it's good. It's good. Now, not you. You're not good. He goes out of his way to point out again, you're evil. And I think by this time, the crowd has been listening to him. They're like, yeah, that's, that's about right. You're not good. But notice in the parable of the, the kids what they're asking for. What they're asking for is good. They're asking for nourishment. Bread and fish. So this is the daily diet of Galilee in that area. And so in the context, part of what makes it good is that it's a need. It's nourishment. It's vital. It's essential for life. They're going to the Father for what they need. And many times, again, we take this verse out of context. We make it about wants, not about needs. And so the, the Father responds to them wanting what is good. He responds with what is good. He said, I'm not going to just throw a rock at them or here, here, here's a snake. Go play with it. He is going to give you something that will give you life, not kill you, is the point. But here's the third thing, and the most important thing. It is from your Father. The most important point, it's not the what, it's the who. Who are they asking? He says, you're asking the best daddy in the world. That's who you're asking. God is your Abba Father. The Greek word here is uh, the word pater. The Aramaic form is Abba, which many of us have heard. And it's this everyday family word for father. We would say daddy. And here's what's interesting. No good religious Jew of that day would dare, have dared to address God in this manner. 
This is shocking to the original audience. Do you know, nowhere else, nowhere else in Jewish literature of the time is God referred to as our Abba, as our daddy. But Jesus did it all the time. And he encourages you to do it. He encourages all his disciples to do it. He tells us he wants us to refer to God as our daddy. Because Jesus wants us to see him as our good daddy who is willing and eager to give us his kingdom, to give us the best good thing that he can. You know, recently I went on one of these Buffalo River trips with uh, my son Caleb. And y'all, it was hot. It was really hot. And we would spend all morning, we'd wake up early and we'd pack up the canoe and then we'd paddle and then we'd be dodging water guns and all this stuff. And we'd, about halfway through the day, we'd finally stop for lunch and we were tired. We had to unload stuff and we were hot, we're tired, we're hungry. We'd, we'd sit down and we had this white bucket. And in the white bucket was the sweet nectar of life, Pringles and Gatorade. <laughs> so good. And the second we would unload and sit down and set that bucket down, Caleb would come to me and he'd ask, hey, can I get some food out of the white bucket? You know what I didn't do? I didn't reach down and throw a rock at him. I didn't go to the woods and grab a snake and say, here you go, kid, have fun. But also didn't ask him to perform. I didn't say, well, you didn't paddle very good earlier back there. You know, you made a mistake. I don't know. I didn't say, well, you got to ask me 10 times. I'm not giving it to him because of what he has done. I give it to him because of who I am. I am his daddy. It is my job to take care of him, and I love to take care of him. Jesus is telling us, God is your daddy who gives you the best good thing. See, God, he wants to welcome you. More than anything, he wants to welcome you into his kingdom. Not as a slave, not as a second-class citizen, but as a son or a daughter. And to do that, to make that happen, he gives you his righteousness, the best good thing, the thing that you need the most and you cannot get on your own. And so the only question left is, will you ask? Will you seek? Will you knock? And I think it really comes down to the way you answer just two questions. The way you answer two questions will determine whether or not you go to your good daddy and ask and seek and knock for his righteousness. The first one is this. Do you believe what Jesus says about himself? Great theologian A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What you think about when you think about God, listen, isn't the driver's seat of every decision you make, everything you feel, do, every way you act, all of it. How you see God is going to determine how you approach him. So if you see, always see him as a judge, then guess what? You're going to always be fearful. You're going to be defensive. You're going to have this kind of constant inner lawyer in yourself trying to make a case for your innocence before him. If you always see him as a boss, then you're always going to be trying to perform, trying to, to earn your way and impress him so that then he'll reward you. If you see him as just the man with the lightning bolt, you know you're always going to be in this tension of what you know you should do and what you want to do, always kind of get, seeing how close you can get to the line without him boom smiting you. And if you see him as a genie in a bottle, well, you're always going to be just going to him for things and to feel good instead of for a relationship with him and seeking his will. But if you know him as a good daddy, 
everything changes. The biggest reason many people don't ask is because they don't believe that he is good and that he loves them. Men and women, he is good and he loves you. And he wants to give you the best good thing imaginable. He's your Abba Father. That's what he's telling you. And, and here's how we can know. See, Jesus doesn't, in the Sermon on the Mount, he doesn't just present the problem of our lack of righteousness. He then provides the solution. He meets our need willingly, exorbitantly. He lavishes us on us all that we need, and he does so at great cost to himself. See, at the cross, Jesus paid the price for your unrighteousness. But that's not all he did. He also took all of his righteousness, all of his perfection, and he wrapped it up with wrapping paper and a bow as a gift, and he gave it to you. And he says, here it is for anyone who asked for it. So much so, y'all, there's this amazing picture in Revelation. After Jesus comes back and, and we're all in his kingdom and it, the picture is the saints are all there, but the saints, man, they're dressed up nice. They're no longer dressed in the filthy rags of their own righteousness. They've been given these beautiful, pure white robes to wear. And, and the text is clear. They've been given these robes. They didn't earn these robes. These robes were a present to them. And they represent the perfect righteousness of God. See, Jesus gives you the proper attire. He clothes you in his righteousness so that when it comes to heaven, you're dressed apart. Do you believe what Jesus says about himself? He is your good daddy who laid down his life to give you his righteousness. Here's the second question. Do you believe what Jesus says about you? Is righteousness really what you need? Or are you looking for a different deal from God? Do you want a bunch of material good things? Or do you want the best good thing? His righteousness. Imagine this morning, imagine just for a moment, you've got some bad news. You're sick with a terminal disease and you have just a week to live. And this sickness, it's got, it's got a 100% mortality rate. There's nothing you can do about it. But, you know, you make a doctor's appointment just to see maybe off chance there's something somebody can do to help. And the doctor agrees to see you this, this exact same day. After examining you, he gives you an honest assessment of your disease. And he says it's worse than you thought. You are desperately sick. You have no hope. And this disease will kill you not in a week but in a day. But then he tells you something surprising. He tells you he's the one doctor who has found a cure. And this cure is 100% effective. He's got a 100% cure rate. And then he says, and you know what? For free, as a gift, I'll do anything you want me to do for you. All you have to do is ask. What are you going to ask him for? I'll tell you what you're probably not going to do. You're probably not going to say, you know, Doc, I saw you driving in that Lexus. Saw that out in the parking lot. It's pretty nice. How about the keys to that Lexus? No. If you believe what the doctor has said about you and what the doctor has said about himself, you are only going to ask for one thing. Please, doctor, please give me the cure. That's all you need. And that's the best good thing that doctor can give you. Way better than the keys to his Lexus, isn't it? So... Do you believe this morning what Jesus has said about you, that you are desperately sick and in need of his righteousness? That you cannot get into his kingdom with the heart 
you were born with. You need a replacement. You need it from him. So let's say you do this morning. Let's say we do believe what Jesus says about himself, what he says about ourselves. If we believe that, then we will never stop. We will continually ask, seek, and knock for his righteousness. But how? How do we do that? How do we continually ask, seek, knock? Well, the Bible tells us really, it sums up in three ways. First is through his word. The scriptures, the Bible, this is what God has to say written down for you. And so if you are not reading his word, you are not seeking him. Second way is through his spirit. The Bible says we walk by the spirit. We, see, we don't just follow a set of rules and a set of do and don't, do's and don'ts. Through the Holy Spirit, we have a relationship with God. So we pray, we talk to him, we spend time with him. We do all the things that you would do to have a relationship with any person. And the third way is through his people. Didn't Jesus say, where two or more are gathered in my name, I'm there? Absolutely, he said that. In Ephesians 4, he says, his kaleidoscope, all the variations of his grace are in his people. God's provision for you is in his people. And that means, you know, if you just watch a service online, but you don't come and engage with the people of God, listen, you are missing out on God's provision for you. That also means if you come here in person just to listen to someone else talk without engaging the people of God, you are missing out on God's provision for you. So listen, men and women, I know, I know. I know there's lots of other things that make demands on us. We get busy, we get tired, people are frustrating. But let's take Jesus at his word this morning. Let's believe him that we are people in need of his righteousness and that he is our good daddy who will gladly give it to us. Don't stop asking, seeking, and knocking for his righteousness. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.